What's your favorite way to learn? I like graphic novels because I can see who's talking. My grandma reads the newspaper to me. I like movies on TV. I play learning games on my dad's tablet. I like reading plain old regular books with lots of detail. This is Worlds Awaiting, helping children read, write, see, speak, think, and listen. Here's our host, Rachel Wada. As a reader and a teacher, one of the things I love about literature is its extraordinary capability to foster children's natural, creative, and imaginative potentials. Some adults tend to believe that the imagination is an extraneous and potentially hazardous realm for children. However, this is far from true. Imagination is an integral part of what makes us human. A hundred years ago, television, travel to the moon, and even cell phones were only visions of the imagination, and without it, these things would never have existed. As someone who values the imagination, it's hard for me to see it maligned by those who may not appreciate the number of extraordinary inventions and societal advancements that have come from creative minds. Most adults will realize that children have a natural imagination. So for me, the important thing is for adults to make sure that they do not stifle children's creative potential. I believe that we, as caring adults, must ensure that through education and experience, young people's imaginations are nurtured. Building on children's sense of discovery and allowing them to soak up the world around them is exactly what being literate is all about. So let's get children to read, write, see, think, speak, and listen to help them build their imaginations. For me, reading is one of the critical keys to opening a child's mind, for it's through the pages of books that children have the ability to explore the entire physical world, as well as the whole world of the imagination. The process of making connections with a book is not simple, and young people need a lot of guidance along the way. As adults, we have the marvelous task of becoming the wizards or fairy godmothers that can show each hero their own path to the boon of reading. As we guide, we may never know what doors of potential have been opened or what our children do with them, but the only thing that truly matters is that we provide them with a wonderful experience that opened for them a window to their imaginations. And that's just the kind of thing we're really passionate about here at Rachel's World. Who actually still writes letters? You know, ink on paper. I mean, why would you do that? Today on Worlds Awaiting, we'll explore how old-fashioned letter writing isn't something we should give up on. Rachel now talks to Catherine Pohl, professor at the University of Texas at Arlington, about a study she conducted with her kindergarten students where she tracked their progress as they wrote and exchanged letters with extended family members. During the study, Catherine observed that her students' writing and reading abilities improved and family bonds were strengthened. Catherine Pohl is a researcher and teacher educator for her institution's Literacy Studies program. Here's Catherine and Rachel. We're speaking with Catherine today. Welcome to the show, Catherine. Thank you so much. I, am, I appreciate being here. I am so glad you are here, and I am so excited to chat about your research. First, tell us a little bit about the research you've been doing, particularly about children and writing letters to their family members. Describe that for us. Yeah, so this was a um, a letter writing project in a kindergarten, and I had been teaching kindergarten for a while. And I don't know, kindergarten teachers are familiar with um, using journals as part of the kindergarten curriculum, but as a teacher, I had become bored with that 
and I didn't think that the kids were really writing so much. They were doing things like, um, you know, drawing pictures and writing simple things like I saw a car or, you know, very simple things. And I had a feeling that they could um, do more and that they had more things to say. And at about the same time, um, my mom had passed away, and I realized that I hadn't done a very good job of getting her to do the things that, that I wished that she had done with my children, you know, things like, you know, passing on family stories and family history and captioning family photos and, um, you know, all of those things that sort of preserve family history. And so I was kind of putting these two ideas together, one, you know, my, that I was tired with, tired of journals and that, uh, that I had wished that I had done more with my own children and their grandmother. And I decided that it would be a really interesting thing to see what happened in a kindergarten classroom when I asked kids and an extended family member to correspond with one another for an entire school year. I asked the parents of the kids in the class to identify a family member who lived far enough away that the kids didn't see them all the time. So um, often it was a grandmother or a grandfather, but sometimes it was an aunt or an uncle. We didn't really have any prerequisites on, on what kind of family member. It was just someone that lived far enough away that they that it would be special to receive a letter from them, and also someone that sort of had some family history to share. I love that connection to family history. So what did you see as you interacted with the kids and their letters about them learning more about their family history? What insights did you gain? This was the most interesting part of the study. I, you know, at first I went into this thinking mostly that I was going to help kids learn to become writers, better writers. So I was really surprised at how, how, um, how beautiful and lovely the letters themselves ended up becoming. So and, you know, at the beginning of the year, the kids wrote very simple things, um, maybe, you know, dear grandma, I love you. And then they would sign their name and we would send it off. And then the, um, the extended family member would write back and they would write a little bit more and they would share maybe something that they remembered about the child's parent um, when they were five or six years old. So sort of, well, this is what your dad did when he was six. And we started seeing the kids replying to those letters. So over the course of the year, we saw this sort of back-and-forth correspondence where they were, they were you know, staying on topic um, to the point where kids were, uh, one of the little girls in the study, um, she wrote a letter to her grandfather telling him that, um, that she, she had a friend, and she said, and we're friends again. And so you sort of knew that there was this backstory that, you know, they, for a while they hadn't been friends, but she didn't really explain what had happened. So the, when the grandfather received the letter, he wrote back to her this really long and touching letter about uh, his own friend from when he was her age, and um, you know, kind of explaining you know, the things that they did together and who this man was, and that they were still friends after you know nearly 60 years. So we started seeing this this really cool connection, and uh, you know, kids really starting to feel like these these people in their lives, these extended family members that they didn't see all that often, were real people and had real stories to tell as well. I love that personal yeah. connection with this. And and I think one of the things that I loved in reading your study is this personal connection actually made them made the students make stronger connections to writing. So can you explain how that happened? I think um, the idea that these young children learned that um, that someone really cared about what they were writing was really important to this study. Um, you know, prior to this, they were writing in journals, and they would read it, and I would read it, but that was the end. But with these letters, 
it became um, you know, much more public. You know, they were sending them off to someone. And, and, you know, often maybe sometimes it was a grandmother and a grandfather, both who would be corresponding or an aunt and an uncle. So they started learning that someone really cared about what they had to say. And we know, you know, from, from past research, we know that having an audience that really cares about what you have to say is a big incentive in writing and wanting to write and in learning how to write. And it gave the kids this incentive to... They learned how to spell better, and they learned how to form their, um, you know, just the letter formation was much more deliberate because they knew that they wanted someone to, to understand what they were writing, and they were really careful about the words that they chose. It just sort of the idea that there was someone that really, really paid attention sort of took over the whole project. And I, I really like that sense of this authentic context, particularly the authentic context and how it developed things that you may not have expected, like spelling and those types of things. So how how did you see their letters improve over time? Yeah, well, so at the start of the project, um, you know, I, I'm honest with kids. <laughs> and so, you know, we talked about how they needed to, the other people who were reading these letters weren't people who read kids' letters very often. And so, you know, I, as their teacher, could read kid writing pretty well, but um, the other people might not be able to. And so if I felt like the other, the person receiving their letter was going to need a little bit of help, then I would put a sticky note on their letter with, um, with their words written in the way that an adult could read them. And so we had that, you know, sort of basic conversation. And it became a goal of the kids to be able to send letters that didn't have my sticky note. So we would, I would see them working really hard. You know, they would, they would start thinking, well, how do I spell that word? What, can, what resources can I use to figure out what to do here? You know, and so they would have little you know, chats amongst themselves about how to spell a word, or they would remember that they had seen that word in a book, and they would go find the book and figure out how to spell it. Um, and they would look at um, little writing charts we had around the classroom to see how to make particular letters that they were having trouble with. And it just became, it became a really important thing to them that they could write these these entire letters that didn't need my translation. And I see also in that intention and deliberateness a real sense of motivation. And I think as educators and even parents, sometimes we have a hard time with motivating kids to write or even to read. So how do you think this structure really helped motivate the kids? They loved this project. They would, um, so we, they would come to school in the morning talking about writing and wondering if they would have letters to respond to that day. And um, if, they, if they didn't have a letter to respond to, what other kinds of things they were going to write, because they wrote every day. We practiced you know, some kind of writing every day. Sometimes they would, you know, they would write books or um, a couple of them got together to create, um, I don't know, four issues of a, of a magazine. I mean, all kinds of writing happened. And so um, it just sort of took over the life of the classroom. And so they, they arrived in the morning motivated. They would think about it. They knew that when they went to lunch, I would go get mail. And they would um, anticipate this. And so as I came back to pick them up from the lunchroom, they would, they would want to know who got letters today, who got mail, you know. And so it sort of became this ritual that they were just really excited about. And I, I think the, the whole motivation was, you know, kids don't get letters that often, um, you know, especially handwritten letters and things that are sent just to them and addressed to them. And um, that became a real motivating factor and not just in the letter writing project, but for writing in general in that classroom, just the idea that there were you know, people who really cared about what they had to say and that they could communicate things that people wanted to know about. Well, I think particularly at this level at kindergarten, that's one of the most important things for the 
kids to learn is that writing is all about communication. It's not about fulfilling an assignment or just doing something your teacher needs you to do. It's it's really about that essence of communication. But I love that connection, authentic context. And mm-hmm. you've mentioned several. The letters, of course, are one. And you talked about them writing magazines and other mm-hmm. types of things. So how do you, as a teacher, find these authentic contexts for your students to write in that don't feel forced, that don't feel like you're, you know, you're constructing an assignment or something that that mm-hmm. really is trying to be authentic but really isn't quite making it. And that's the tricky thing, I think, about a lot of early childhood classrooms. Um, you know, so many things that I think – you know, typical early childhood classrooms do are done just because that's just what we do. You know, things like the journals. You know, I think all kindergarten classrooms do journal writing. Um, and they're not particularly authentic. You know, kids would just make up whatever, you know, something just to, to get that um, assignment done for the day. So um, I think probably um, for me, as you know, this was considered action research, um, you know, doing a study on my own practice as I was working with students. Um, I think Part of it has to do with, um, you know, looking at your own interests. You know, so what is it that you're curious about and, you know, what is it that you think your students want to know and want to be able to do? And then thinking about ways to integrate that into your own practice that, um, that are meaningful. You know, and in this case, you know, I think, I think all of the kids learned that they really were interested in, in writing because they wanted to communicate with these other people in really authentic ways. And I think that really translates into any situation. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I also think is important is this sense of developing this very solid identity as a writer, particularly very young. Why do you think in general it's important for us as teachers and adults that care about children to really help them identify this, I can be a writer, I can can write and do good writing at, at a very young age? Well, you know, writing throughout life does really um, important things for us. You know, it helps us to organize our thoughts, and it helps us to think more deeply about things. But um, it also connects us to a wider audience, and that's probably the most important thing. You know, we can write things that someone can read, you know, next week or next year or in 10 10 years or 100 years. And um, so, you know, this idea that, um, you know, Talking doesn't have that same sense of permanence. You can have a conversation and it's gone. Uh, you know, it lasts as long as someone's memory. But when we write, we um, we, we really can communicate in, in all kinds of ways. You know, across generations and across time and across space. And so I think for young children, that's a really important idea to develop. Um, and you know, include and plus the idea that someone um, really cares about what we have to say. That really makes a lot of sense. Particularly for me, I think early literacy can be tricky for some people and developing early literacies. Sometimes I think we do reading better sometimes than writing. So what are some tips or some strategies that you learned successfully in this research that you think our listeners should understand or maybe extrapolate into their own lives? Well, first of all, I think what you said about um, you know, we do a better job with reading than with writing. Um, I, I do want to talk a little bit about that just because I think um, we sort of have this idea, you know, writing is messy. You know, with reading, you know, you give them something to read and it's really clear, you know, the words are right there and, you know, you, you know if they're saying the right words or not the right words and you know if they're sort of getting the right idea or not. But with writing, you don't really know what you're going to get. 
Um, you sit them down with materials and pencil and paper and you let them go. The other thing is that we tend to think that reading starts first, you know, the kids have to know how to read before they know how to write. But in this study, that wasn't true. Most of the children didn't know how to read much at all. They knew how to read their names and a couple of other simple things. But for the most part, they, they were not readers. And so um, the idea that there's this reciprocal relationship between reading and writing was really key in this study in that kids learned how to become better readers because they learned to write. You know, so they were sitting there thinking about how to write things, and that helped improve their, um, their reading as well. That's very interesting, and I think we often think the reciprocal is the truth, that they're better readers, they'll be better writers. So mm-hmm. it's fascinating to see this aspect where writing actually is the foundation for the later reading. Did you see improvements in in their reading skills beyond their their letters? Where Did this transfer to books and other types of text you use in your classroom? Oh, sure. They were... Um, th- this group of students in, as a whole, were, they were, one, more interested in books. They were more interested in, in writing and in things that other people had to say. And they also very clearly learned to, how to read. You know, they learned the strategies and skills involved in reading as they were writing. I think probably every single child in that class finished the class much more skilled as a reader than most kindergarten kids, in my experience, had been. And, um, and I'm I'm sure that it was because we spent so much time talking about writing and thinking about writing and writing, sending letters and all of those kinds of pieces. And it was fun. The kids really enjoyed this activity. It wasn't a, um, it wasn't this sort of thing where I had to sit down and say, okay, we're going to write letters today. You know, they wanted to do it. They were motivated to write. And in doing so, I think that motivated them as readers as well. And the other thing that I did was, you know, I never asked a child to rewrite. You know, I never said to them, oh, this is a mess. You know, let's, Let's just start this one over again. I would just say, well, you know, I, I'm just going to write a little note on this sticky and attach it to your paper to help them along. But, you know, they never got the sense that, um, that what they wrote wasn't important. And I think that's probably um, a really key thing for working with children. No one likes to have their work critiqued to the point where they want to throw it away. Um, they, you know, they want it to be, they want it to be something that's, um, that's accepted. And uh, so I think, you know, we need to be able to step back. I I love that thought because taking a step back, particularly as an adult, and and looking and just accepting these children and what they have to offer is great. And I think in particular in this situation, it was wonderful because even with the misspellings, these people love these children and they're going to accept it no matter what what the offering was just because there's a connection of love and support there from the family member. You know, and we spend a lot of time talking about the kids, but the other interesting piece was the family members. They would, um, you know, they would send emails or they would, you know, send, um, you know, letters to me as the teacher telling me how much they appreciated all of this. And, you know, and they would ask for, you know, photos from the class or they would ask for, you know, news. They wanted to know what was going on with everyone. And they started to know other, the kids' names because kids would include their friends in the letters that they were writing. And so it, it became really important to the adults as well. Just goes to show how that extended community, it, it really is an extended community that educates our children. Yeah, and I think if I had spent a lot of time, you know, correcting these letters or, you know, making kids rewrite them so that they were perfect, I don't think they would have had the same sense of authenticity. It would have become more of a chore. Um, and I think that the family members would have realized that, too. Um, probably the kids wouldn't have wrote nearly 
the volume that they wrote if they felt like you know everything they did was going to be you know they had to redo it or edit it or correct it you know all of that can wait until later i love that being able to develop but at the same time have that authenticity is it's a great balance there as as we close today our conversation what is one thing that you would like our listeners to remember about this conversation about this wonderful project that you've done Oh, there are so many things. <laughs> um, first of all, I think um, it's really important to remember that even young children have something to say. And this sort of sense of permanence that happens when they're writing, and especially when they're writing to someone um, that cares about what they have to say, is just really critical. Or in, in this study, it showed that it was really critical in helping them identify as writers and in wanting to write and in wanting to write a lot. You know, they, they just wrote so much because they became convinced that they were writers. So um, that's probably the biggest takeaway from this study. And then um, also I think it'd be really interesting to, to spend a little bit more time delving into what it meant to the, um, to the extended family members to be participants in this study because there's this piece of family literacy that really talks about how the um, extended family members have something to contribute to kids' literate development. So you know, how does a project like this build on that research? Well, we are going to look forward with great anticipation to your further research, Catherine. I, I am going to keep your name on my research list and, and keep looking for more great things from you. <laughs> Thank you so much. That was Rachel Wadham with University of Texas at Arlington professor Catherine Pohl talking about a letter writing project she conducted with her kindergarten students. You're listening to Worlds Awaiting. Next, Jean Nelson, director of the Provo, Utah Library, reviews a book for teens called Salt to the Sea by Ruta Sepetis, a story of three young people during World War II whose paths cross en route to a ship, the Wilhelm Gustloff. Jean Nelson has participated on many local, regional, and national committees, including the Caldecott Committee in 2000 and in 2010. He also teaches children's literature classes at BYU. Here's Jean. We have some incredible books being published this year. And so I sometimes sneak out. You know, the Newbery Award covers ages 0 to 14, which is a huge challenge. And now and then we find some books on the upper realm of that 14 that are maybe not typical Newbery type of contenders, but we're looking for the best books for that, that age category. And I've, I've found a couple, and the one I brought today is uh, arguably my favorite of that age this year. Uh, it's historical fiction, Ruta Sapitas. Uh, it's a Lithuanian name. She was a New York Times bestselling author with Between Shades of Grey, another World War II historical fiction piece that came out a few years ago. And that really kind of launched her career. The book that I want to talk about is called Salt to the Sea. And I knew I was in for a treat because I'm a huge fan of hers. She also wrote a very, very terrific teen book uh, a few years ago called Out of the Easy, which is a historical fiction piece of the 60s out of one of my favorite cities to visit, New Orleans. And it's a, a challenging book, but wow, what a terrific read that that was. And so when I picked up Salt to the Sea, I knew I was in for a treat, and I was not disappointed. In this story, 
It's winter 1945. The war is beginning to come to a close. And these four teenagers have four different secrets that they have. Caught between the atrocities of Hitler's Nazi war machine on the west and the Soviet invading army on the east, refugees from Lithuania, Prussia, Poland are scrambling to head northwest to the Baltic Sea where they're hoping to get on ships that will take them away. And we are introduced to these four teenagers. Joanna, who is a Lithuanian uh, woman, young woman, who's trained in medicine. Florian, a young guy who's a Prussian teen who has a deep, dark secret. Amelia, she's from Poland, also with her own secret. And Alfred, a German sailor. You know, I've read a lot of books that have alternating voices telling stories and sometimes, frankly, gets distracting. And you can't tell, okay, who's telling this story now? I've got to remember and go back. Sapitas does such an amazing job at creating these four very unique voices. These four teenagers, short chapters, so you're not losing contact with the other three. They're still close by, like close friends as we begin to hear their stories and how they're part of this movement northwest in, um, in this Lithuanian and Prussia area, trying to escape as refugees the wars, the horrible things that happen in wars. Um, the book is, is brutal, it's bold, but I love the fact that it doesn't try to sensationalize uh, these horrible events of war. And it is for a mature reader. It's for at least 14-year-olds and up. Uh, and I would hope that would be a mature 14-year-old. I have a granddaughter who's almost 15. I would have no problems in recommending this book to her. It is brutal. There's some tough things. War is horrible. And it is shown through the eyes of these four teenagers that are suffering and running and trying to escape it. Their lives collide as they reach the, the, the coast of the Baltic Sea, and we're finding our protagonist getting on the ship Wilhelm Gusloff, which history majors may know and recognize that ship name because it's one of the little-known stories in maritime history and in World War II where this ship was hit by torpedoes and sunk. More lives were lost in the Titanic and the Lusitania. But you asked a normal person on the street, have you ever heard of the Wilhelm Gusloff ship? And we have never heard of it. The story has not been told to any great length. And Sapitas does a magnificent job with her research, putting these characters together, not only showing the refugee flight as these two sides are colliding, the German Nazis and the Soviets, uh, which had their own struggles as far as some of the brutalities that they uh, visited upon those who were running. But it's one of those stories, as we know a little bit about this ship, now we're seeing our four main protagonists come together to meet at this point. The pacing is exceptional, the storylines, the distinct voices, I literally could not put it down. 
I found myself just just sobbing at times with the horror of what these teenagers are facing. And she has become one of my favorite writers. That was Jean Nelson, director of the Provo, Utah Library, reviewing the teen novel Salt to the Sea by Ruta Cepetis. We'll look forward to other young people book reviews from Jean and other librarians in the future. Thanks for listening to Worlds Awaiting. Tune in Saturdays at 1.30 p.m. Eastern on BYU Radio, Sirius XM, Channel 143, on the TuneIn app, and at byuradio.org.